It's great to be with you. It's nice to be back at our evening service after a few weeks off over the Christmas period. In our time together, I want to consider a portion of Scripture that is probably unfamiliar. The book that I wish to preach from is one of those books that is read and studied probably the least in the canon of Scripture. And I can understand that for there are certainly some difficulties in interpreting, understanding and applying this particular book. And uh, I don't think I will ever preach through this book verse by verse. I'm going to leave that for Pastor Peter. Now, yet, nevertheless, this, this book blessed and encouraged uh, me as I read through it recently. And I'd like to consider a verse that was uh, used by the Holy Spirit to challenge me uh, in a very uh, practical way. So could you please open your Bible to the book of Song of Solomon? Now, the book of Song of Solomon, Pastor Dave is my... My lecturer at Bible College said, never preach from this book, it's, it's too hard. You know, perhaps I should have listened to him. Song of Solomon, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. I will be in the second chapter of this evening, and we're going to consider uh, verse 15. Uh, but I want to read from verse 8 down to verse 17. So, Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the voice of my beloved, uh, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. And my beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Uh, Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, come away. O my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. O take us the foxes. The little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies, until the day break and the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Bethere. Amen. The title for the sermon this evening is Catch the Foxes. Let's pray. Father, it is... uh, great to be able to be in your house for a second time today. Uh, Father, we do thank you for uh, your goodness and your faithfulness toward us. Father, thank you that you have given uh, to us uh, your word. And Father, as we consider uh, this portion of scripture uh, this evening, we we come humbly before you knowing that uh, we need your help to understand your word. And Father, we ask that you would grant to us uh, the precious gift of of illumination this evening. And Father, please give us uh, ears to hear and and eyes to see. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder how many of you made a a New Year's resolution uh, this last week. A New Year's resolution is an interesting concept that has taken our society by storm where one sets goals that they are determined to achieve in the new year. 
although I, I'm not against these resolutions completely, it is interesting that according to most stats, in Australia up to 70% of people make resolutions and yet only about 8% actually follow through, with most people having fallen back into their old habits by the end of January. Now, the most common resolutions typically involve eating better and exercising more. This generally holds the top spot. Trying to kick a bad habit such as smoking or drinking is often high on the priority list, as is making more money, getting a better job, and typically rounding out the top ten. We're spending more time with family and friends. A lot of resolutions are certainly profitable, and if you have made one, I encourage you to be part of the 8%. Don't be a quitter. But I'd like to put it to you that our text contains a more worthwhile and profitable resolution than eating better and exercising more, and that is catching the foxes. We need to catch the foxes. In order for our relationships to be all that they could be and should be. Now this is the teaching from the text that I want to unfold in our time together. But before we get to catching the foxes, we need to take some time to endeavour to understand this book as a whole. For it is a vital requirement in order to comprehend our text. Solomon, the writer of this particular book, wrote over 1,000 songs. And yet this particular book is referred to as the Song of Songs, signifying that this is the greatest piece written by this man. And much like the phrase, King of Kings, signifies Jesus' superiority over every other king. So this song is far more superior, spectacular, and splendid than any other penned by Solomon. This is his masterpiece. Like the Mona Lisa for Leonardo da Vinci, or the epic mural on the Sistine Chapel for Michelangelo. These were their greatest creations. And this is the same for this piece of literature and Solomon. As I'm sure you are aware, this writing is completely unique. For there is no other book in the Bible that is even close to this book in content and style. In fact, it has been said that if the book of Song of Solomon was not in our Bible, and we were to discover it as an ancient document from the time of Solomon, it's highly unlikely that we would include it in the canon of Scripture. It would undoubtedly be viewed as secular. And yet, despite its uniqueness... Now, this book is included in the canon of Scripture, and it's very highly regarded and treasured, with the Jews apparently regarding this song as the holy of holies in the sacred writings. It received special reverence. And yet this book is understood so differently by so many. Now, this spectacular piece has been interpreted in a wide range of ways. It's up there with the book of Revelation when it comes to weird and wacky ideas. The historical grammatical hermeneutic seems to be abandoned completely among scholars. Some interpret this book allegorically, 
No, this meaning that it's simply a picture of something else. But this can lead to a wide variety of bizarre interpretations that is subject to a writer's whims. Now, one such example is within this book there is a few descriptions of Solomon's lover. And in his description, the two breasts are mentioned. And one allegorical interpretation that that is very common says that this pitches the two ordinances of the church. And, And I'm sure that that was certainly not on Solomon's mind when he wrote those words about his beloved. Another common approach is the the typological. And this is very similar to the aragolical approach. But rather this views this book as a description of Christ and the church. So the beloved within the book, the bride is the church and the king is Christ. But they don't see a real relationship between a man and a woman but rather a fictional one is used to symbolize the Christian's relationship with Jesus. So there's two approaches. But I believe the best way to understand this song is that it's a literal description of the romantic love between a man and a woman. It's not necessarily the whole story, but rather a collection of the highlights. So this book is a real account of a real love Story, And yet because God deliberately uses the marriage relationship as an illustration of the relationship that he has with us, his people, we find that this great song of songs illustrates the love and the beauty of relationship that should exist between God and the believer. But this is a secondary meaning. So in this book, we have recorded a real love story, a love poem. And it records in glorious, picturesque language that is filled with graphic imagery, the excitements and the enjoyment to be found in God's gifts of love, intimacy and marriage. This particular book elevates, endorses and exalts the beauty, glory and purity of marital love. It shines the spotlights on these precious gifts and lifts them up rather than degrading them as our society so often does. The Song of Solomon documents the love story of King Solomon and a lady identified as the Shalomite. This term Shalomite may refer to, to where she was from, or it may well be a translation of the female equivalent of the word Solomon. And it seems that this lady, this relationship was prior to Solomon's wicked polygamy. It's rather interesting that this man that ended up with 700 plus wives you know, writes this glorious book, you know, elevating this one relationship, elevating marriage. That There's surely some irony there. Now, this particular story was most likely when he was young. Now, perhaps this was his, his first love, real love, the type of relationship that God intended man and woman to possess and Enjoy. 
Now, the Shalomites or the bride is the predominant speaker throughout the book. You know, this book is structured, there is generally one of four speakers. It's the Shalomite and Solomon are the two most common. And then there's the Shalomite's brothers and there's also the singers. And that's half the challenge, trying to figure out who is speaking. Within our text, in verse 15, I believe it's the Shalomite, the bride, who is speaking. And at this point in time, the young lovebirds are in the courtship stage, that they are not yet married. A banquet scene has been recorded in chapter 1, but in the second chapter, the couple are separated. The bride has returned home, and from verse 8... We have a scene painted that Solomon has sought out his beloved. He has asked her to to come out unto him. He desires to be with her, to see her, to hear her. This is his request. And his beloved replies to this in verse 15 where she declares, Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. This verse seems to be out of place, doesn't it? It's as though it doesn't fit. It's sandwiched between this loved-up language, and it's not the response that we might expect. There seems to be a slight hesitation for the lady to immediately join her beloved, a reluctance to accept the invitation to come and enjoy time together. It is clear that the relationship is certainly not in jeopardy, for notice verse 16, My beloved is mine and I am his. And yet there is a clear hesitation. Something was bothering Solomon's beloved. She employs imagery that would have been very familiar to her. In chapter 1 and verse 6, we learn that she had spent much time in keeping a vineyard. And a crucial part of managing a vineyard and ensuring that a beautiful crop was forthcoming was dealing with the foxes that wreaked great havoc amongst the crop. Foxes abounded in the Judean countryside. Their foxes are slightly different to ours. They are more like the jackal. So they are smaller than the fox that you and I see around here. But they existed in plague Proportions, with these foxes known to run in large packs, sometimes up to 200. And so the poor old chicken pen didn't stand a chance. And we see the great numbers that existed in the story of Samson. Do you remember that story? We had this man and he went to the trouble of catching 300 foxes. He tied their tails together. There was a firebrand in their tails. And then he unleashed them through the crops of the Philistines in a vindictive, revengeful assault. And this tells us that foxes weren't hard to come by. This is a literal account. He had 300 foxes. And these cunning creatures were notorious for devastating crops particularly those within the vineyard. They seem to have a real taste for grapes. This was their favourite, like chicken is for the foxes around here. And they would get into the vineyard and gnaw the branches, bite the bark, dig holes everywhere so the root systems would be exposed and would devour any fruit they could get their putrid mouths on. 
These wild scavengers would destroy crops before harvest. And hence it was vitally important that these foxes be caught, that they be trapped and dealt with in order to prevent the crops from being devastated. And this was a duty that a successful farmer had to be diligent in. And these foxes, including the little foxes according to the text, needed to be dealt with. For if they were left unchecked and unhindered, their destructive tendencies would be allowed to flourish and great would be the devastation. That's the picture. But the question is, why does she employ this imagery? Why does she talk about catching the foxes in the vineyard? What's the point that she's trying to convey? Well, clearly the maiden is speaking poetically. She employs a metaphor. And she's using the foxes as emblems of that which would damage the love relationship that she shares with her beloved. The idea is that their relationship is like a a vineyard, a, a fruitful vineyard, and the little foxes will damage the vineyard unless they are stopped and caught. It seems that there were some problems in their relationship. There were some foxes wreaking havoc, and she felt as though they needed to be dealt with. And this doesn't surprise us, does it? For there are always problems within relationships. Because there are sinful people involved. There is no such thing as a perfect human relationship. And that's the same as Solomon and the Shalomites. The foxes picture the problems, hurdles and sins that the bride thought could potentially, although slowly and quietly, destroy the quality and the fruitfulness of their relationship. There was obviously something she had identified that concerned her, that she felt needed urgent attention. It needed to be caught and eradicated before it wreaked havoc. And this explains her hesitation to immediately join her beloved. She wanted to deal with anything that may potentially damage the relationship she shares with Solomon. She expresses her concern that nothing may exist to cool their love or to ruin their joy and happiness. She desires for every hurtful element to be deleted, the little sins eliminated. She wanted any potential threat or danger to be trapped and eradicated. But notice she doesn't just talk about the foxes. She also speaks of the little foxes being caught. And the picture is... The little problems, the little sins are not to be ignored or tolerated, but rather they too needed to be dealt with. Because if they were not, they would become bigger and harder to eradicate. Foxes are are easier to deal with when they are small, and, and so are the issues and the problems that were found within this young, budding relationship. The Shalomite didn't want anything to destroy what they had. And notice that she employs the plural us. She says, take us, the foxes. Let us catch the foxes. Both parties needed to be involved. Both the beloved and the bride needed to catch these foxes together. this, This was not one person working solo, but teamwork was required. 
Now one cannot expect the other partner to do all the work, but rather striving together was required to ensure the health, longevity and fruitfulness of the relationship between Solomon and the Shalomites. They needed to catch the foxes before they wreaked devastation upon their relationship. And beloved, we too need to catch the foxes within our relationships before they cause great damage. And particular focus and effort is required in our two most important relationships. A great diligence is required to catch the foxes firstly in our marriages. We need to be diligent in, in catching the foxes, particularly the little ones within our marriage relationship. There are many problems, hurdles and sins that damage the vineyard that pitches our marriage. In order to enjoy it as God intends, much hard work is required and catching the foxes is necessity, is a necessity, sorry. And more often than not, these issues start very small. They start as little foxes, but, but then they grow because we fail to catch them. They end up multiplying and causing devastating damage. You know, we allow the nasty remark or, or the hurtful comment to remain unchecked. And, and before we know it, they become more common and more hurtful. And they start to eat away at the structure of our relationship like a fox gnawing on the vine. Selfishness, self-centeredness and self-love slowly creep into the vineyard of our marriage. It's only very small to start with and hence it's ignored. For, it's only a little fox, it's okay. But before long the fruit that was once present has been devoured by the cunning self-absorbed fox. Or the one who places themselves first, who thinks only of self and lives for what they want, and uses their spouse simply as a means to accomplish their own personal goals and desires. The fox of selfishness needs to be caught, not be allowed to destroy the vineyard. The fox of unforgiveness is detrimental. it, It digs holes that exposes the roots in the vineyard that ultimately lead to the health of the relationship being affected dramatically. The one who is constantly set on revenge rather than reconciliation, payback rather than pardon, this fox needs to be trapped and eradicated. Beloved, many are the foxes that can destroy the quality of a marriage relationship. Jealousy, lust, pride, bitterness, unreasonable expectations, wrong priorities... Neglect, anger, temper, lack of love, lack of time and effort, selfishness, arrogance, and I'm sure you can think of more. You know, we with God's help need to partner with our spouse and catch the foxes that roam in the vineyard of our relationship. For if we fail, who knows what damage will be forthcoming. You know, marriages are rarely ruined overnight. But rather they they become something that God does not intend them to be when we fail to catch the foxes. You know, when we tolerate the little things instead of eradicating them, for my friend, little things grow into big things. For us to experience marriage as God intends it, as he spells it out in the Bible, for it to be wonderful, special, blessed, for our vineyards to be fruitful for our marriages to illustrate the glory and beauty of the gospel. 
We must determine to catch the foxes. You know, don't allow them to roam, but trap them, eradicate them. Deal with the problems and sins that plague our vineyards. You know, we need God's help with this. We need the grace and strength of Jesus to do this. And with his help, the foxes must be caught. May we be diligent in this and possess a fruitful and healthy marriage. And secondly, we need to catch the foxes in our relationship with Jesus. Now, as Christians, we have the blessed privilege of knowing Jesus, of sharing a personal relationship with him. But just as the foxes damage our human relationships, so also do they damage our relationship with Jesus. It's foxes in the vineyard that so often explain our inconsistencies and fluctuations in our Christian walk. It's the foxes that we fail to trap that often leads to our spiritual coldness and distance. And hence we need to catch them. Even the little ones for how often it is they that hinder our relationship with Jesus. We allow a little compromise with the world. Allow little sins and fleshly desires to remain unchecked and unconfessed. Allow our commitment and priorities to to become slightly distorted. Jesus is, is no longer number one. We don't serve quite as faithfully as we once did. We don't read the word quite as much. Spend less time in prayer. Ignore the the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Allow our love to grow cold. Get busy with life. And all of a sudden, these little foxes left unintended turn into big foxes who damage our vineyard greatly. And we feel cold and distant towards Jesus. The relationship's not what it once was. And my friend, it's not Jesus who has moved. He hasn't changed. It is you. The foxes have not been caught and they have destroyed the beauty and the fruitfulness of the vineyard. And this is why we need to catch the foxes, even the little ones, and not allow them to distance us from Jesus, nor to damage the fruitfulness or or the quality of our relationship. Beloved, with the Spirit's enabling, with divine power and grace, we, we need to deal with the foxes, you know, in order for our relation, all of our relationships, but particularly our marriage and our relationship with Jesus, to be what it could be and should be. You know, don't allow the foxes to destroy the vineyard, but trap them, catch them, get rid of them, and allow the vineyard to flourish. Amen. Let's pray.